Good morning, NFL fans, and welcome to the first ever playoff edition of Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Let's get right to it. We saw four exciting wildcard games, well, mostly exciting. A couple, or maybe one game, uh, didn't come down to the wire in the NFC on Saturday. But let's start in the AFC with uh, a rematch from last year's playoffs. The Cincinnati Bengals went back into Houston uh, try to redeem themselves from the loss last year in the, the wild card round. But the Bengals once again fell short. The Houston Texans coming out on top 19-13. to uh, This was the first game of the weekend on Saturday evening at 4 o'clock. Arian Foster, definitely the player of the game, had his third career 100-yard uh, uh, rushing game in the playoffs he's only played three playoff games so in all three his first three of his career he's had over 100 yards 32 rushes 140 yards on the day one touchdown it was the one lone touchdown on offense for both teams the Bengals uh, touchdown came from Leon Hall's interception of Matt Schaub in the middle of the second quarter that he returned 21 yards for a score this was Matt Schaub's first start in the playoffs I think a lot of people overlooked that all of the inexperience at quarterback throughout the playoffs, uh, and Matt Schaub is one of them. Uh, hasn't started a playoff game uh, until Saturday, and uh, he he was all right. Um, that that one throw to that was intercepted was a pretty bad throw. If you look at the replay, um, a throw that you really you really cannot make. Um, didn't have enough zip on the ball, I think. A lot of analysts have said the same thing. And he threw it on, on a guy who, who likes to uh, come up and make interceptions like Leon Hall did. So he definitely took advantage of that. And at that point, the, the Bengals' uh, offense could not get anything done in this game, especially in the first half. And uh, you, you kept Cincinnati in the game with that touchdown and actually gave them uh, the lead at that point, 7-6. to six. And uh, at halftime, Houston was able to kick another another field goal uh, to make it 9-7. to seven. Houston really had trouble in the red zone. I think that's one thing that we have to focus on. Uh, uh, these field goal attempts uh, from Shane Graham, 27 yards, 22 yards, 24 yards, Houston, with this win, is going into New England next week. They cannot kick field goals inside the, the that are shorter than 30-yard field goals. Those have to be touchdowns. They have to score more points than 19 against New England. But th- this was it was definitely a defensive struggle game. But this was a game, to me, honestly, it was kind of like which team wanted it less. And, and I hate to say that because, I mean, these are two teams that deserve to be in the playoffs. You know, obviously had the best, uh, one of the best six records in the AFC. Houston was leading the league in, in the record and, and leading the AFC in the number one seed for a while before falling to 12-4. and 12-4 and is still a great mark. But to me, I was not impressed with Houston at all. Uh, besides Arian Foster, yeah, the defense played well for Houston, but a good offense... 
would have taken advantage of a couple mishaps that Houston had on defense. And one that sticks out in anybody's mind who watched this game. Late in the fourth quarter, Cincinnati down by six, driving with about four minutes left. A wide open wide receiver for the Bengals. I, I don't remember what receiver it was specifically. It might have been A.J. Green, but I, don't quote me on that one. Uh, runs a double move down the sideline, beats the cornerback, I think it was Jonathan Joseph, open for a long throw that would have been a touchdown. Andy Dalton saw it, he was open, overthrew him. And the, the safety was coming over from the other side of the field, would have gotten there late, a perfect throw, would have would have been a touchdown. And Cincinnati probably might have won this game. Um, and you could say, all right, well, Dave, you know, he needed to have a perfect throw. Well, Tom Brady has a lot of perfect throws. So does Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, you know, I I don't want to discredit what Houston did on defense. They held Cincinnati to 198 yards. They got a turnover. Um, Houston almost had 40 minutes of uh, time of possession, 38 minutes and 49 seconds. Um, Houston dominated this game, really. Um, from in the trenches, I think, is, is where they won this. The offensive line giving, getting a push to give Arian Foster 140 yards on the ground. And on defense, J.J. Watt was doing his thing and the rest of the defense for, for Houston. But a better offense uh, would have done much better uh, against this team in, in this game. So Andy Dalton's final numbers, 14 of 30, so below 50%. Only 127 yards and an interception. Uh, quite a poor performance, especially from a guy that I, I said was going to have a coming out party. Uh, so that, that obviously didn't happen. Ben Jarvis Green Evans had a decent game, 63 yards on only 11 carries, but he only had 11 carries. So it wasn't going to really be much of, an, of a factor with that, that few t- of touches. But going into next week, well, later on in the show, we'll preview next week, but Houston... Um, in my mind, has to play a lot better than what they did against Cincinnati in order to beat New England in New England, uh, or they're going to come up short again. And, and not only will they come up short, they'll they'll get their butts kicked like they did a few weeks ago on Monday night. Uh, flipping over to the other AFC game that happened on Sunday, uh, the Indianapolis Colts went into Baltimore. A lot of subplots in this game. Uh, a, a lot of uh, storylines behind the the actual game itself. The Ravens came out and and won this game, twenty four to nine. It was closer than the score really indicates, but um, the Colts' inability to score a touchdown, their inability to find the end zone, to me is really the story. Four hundred nineteen yards of total offense for the Colts, although Baltimore not too shabby either. Four hundred forty one. <laughs> total yards on offense, so actually they outgained Indianapolis. Time of possession was heavily in favor of the Colts. 37 minutes for Indianapolis having the ball. They controlled the the rhythm of the game for a while. Even when they were trailing in the third quarter, they were controlling the game with Vic Ballard, had a nice game running, uh, 22 carries, 91 yards. The Colts ran... I believe, 90 plays on offense. You know, you can look at Andrew Luck's numbers, 28 of 54, 54 passes. 
that is a lot of passes. You, you, anybody who listens to my show knows that I don't like throwing the ball 50 times. I don't even like throwing the ball 40 times. Um, but I, I guess when you run 90 plays, you're probably going to throw 50 times, especially when you're behind in a playoff game. So they lost a little bit of the balance later in the game. That's kind of expected when you're down by two scores. But Vic Ballard had a nice game. They controlled the rhythm for most of the way, controlled the time of possession. But Baltimore stuck to their game plan, I think, throughout. And they did a really nice job uh, with Jim Caldwell as their new offensive coordinator from a few weeks ago, hired, replacing Cam Cameron. Um, he got Ray Rice and Bernard Pierce going in the running game. Ray Rice, 15 carries. Bernard Pierce, 13 carries. Um, and it was Pierce, really, that... Um, was more impressive, to be honest. 103 yards for Pierce, 7.9 average yards per carry. Rice didn't do too bad with 70 yards, 4.7 average, but he lost two fumbles that, um, to be honest, were quite costly. And uh, if those uh, both fumbles were in Indianapolis territory, one was in the red zone. So th those definitely took points off the board for, uh, f for the Ravens. But... Their ability to stay balanced, uh, Flacco only threw the ball 23 times, didn't have a great day statistically, 12 of 23, but threw two touchdowns, 282 yards only on 12 uh, completions. That's quite an average uh, per, uh, per completion. And in the receiving game, no catches in the first half for Anquan Bolden, but five in the second half, 145 yards and a touchdown. Torrey Smith... Didn't have much going in the in the offense, only two catches, but he was involved in blocking, which was really impressive. Phil Sims and Jim Nance pointed it out that he was involved in in helping um, the Ravens score with his blocking, and and you can't really say enough about Bolden how he really came out and took over the game uh, in the third quarter. It was really when he came out and scored a touchdown and had uh, 145 yards on just five catches, quite impressive. But getting into the storylines of this game, try and cover them all, uh, on the Indianapolis side, now, first of all, uh, for anybody you know uh, of a real big NFL fan, knows that the Colts used to play in Baltimore. So this is a, was a huge rivalry in the sense that you know, the Colts are returning home to play where they were originally from. And uh, the city of Baltimore kind of obviously wanted to win the, a playoff game, but wanted to beat the Colts because of that history that they used to play in Baltimore. The last two times these teams played in the playoffs, uh, the Colts won in 2006 in Baltimore and then in 2009 in Indianapolis. Um, another subplot for Baltimore, their offensive coordinator, Jim Caldwell, used to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. A little interesting fact there. And on Indianapolis' side, the head coach, Chuck Pagano, everyone forgets that he was a defensive coordinator for Baltimore last year. So that, that um, was just another wrinkle in the, the matchup. And on top of that, with obviously Pagano, um, his, his pass with the Ravens and his um, season this year overcoming cancer and, and coaching the team, Bruce Arians uh, being the interim head coach, Arians, before the game on Sunday, was hospitalized and wasn't able to call plays. The quarterback coach for the Colts um, was the offensive coordinator or the play caller for the day. 
I don't think that really had an effect on the game. It seemed like the Colts uh, had a set game plan and they really stuck to it. There was, wasn't really anything that I thought was out of the ordinary or play calling wise for them. So um, that that turned out to not be a huge deal. But um, luckily, the reports say that Bruce Arians is okay, um, but he wasn't there at the game uh, on Sunday. And obviously, uh, the final um, subplot probably to this matchup is Andrew Luck. Uh, what a great uh, rookie season for Luck. Uh, set a rookie record for passing yards and um, just had an impressive rookie campaign. Led the Colts to 11-5, and considering they only had two wins last year. Colts have a lot of young players all of a sudden in their um, in their front on on their team uh, with T. Y. Hilton at the receiver, uh, one of their top receivers. They still have Reggie Wayne, obviously. Um, Vic Ballard is a young player, so this is a team that's, to be honest, is on the rise, especially with a new head coach in Chuck Pagano. It looks like they're going to lose Bruce Arians. Um, I hope for his sake that this this latest um, health incident doesn't affect uh, teams wanting to hire him uh, next fall or for for next fall. But it looks like he's uh, one of the top uh, candidates for other coaching jobs. I've heard Arians' name floating around uh, the Eagles, so that could be a possibility for him. But um, so we have uh, Baltimore advancing from this game, uh, 24 to nine was the final score, and then. In that first game on Saturday, Houston advances past Cincinnati, and we will uh, preview later on in the show where they're going next week. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and recap the NFC games from Wildcard Weekend. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Let's go into the NFC wildcard games from the weekend, starting off with the Green Bay Packers and the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings playing at Lambeau Field, a rematch from last week. The Vikings edging the Packers with a last-second field goal, 37-34. That game was in Minnesota. So we go to... Lambeau, and this was a completely different game. It's, it seemed like two different teams playing, at least for Minnesota, completely different team. Uh, the Packers defeated the Vikings 24-10, to and to be honest, it wasn't even that close. Um, to start off the game, uh, first of all, uh, on game day, on Saturday, um, the last second, Christian Ponder was scratched, the starting quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings, from the game. So Joe Webb, a guy that uh, I've seen start before, but haven't seen start, I think, since 2010, late in the season when the Vikings were eliminated. So he was, you know, kind of thrown into the fire, I guess you could say. And uh, Christian Ponder, who, you know, he's, he's a young quarterback. He doesn't win you a lot of games, but he won't lose you games uh, for the Vikings. He's a, he's a game-controlling type quarterback who made some big plays last week against Green Bay to get that victory. So uh, of all the young quarterbacks in the playoffs this year, Christian Ponder was just one of them. Um, but the, unable to make the start because of a, an injury he sustained against the Packers last week on his tricep. 
uh, Joe Webb ended up getting the start, and it kind of gave the the Packers another wrinkle to defend because of the run option uh, that the Webb uh, brings to the table with him and Adrian Peterson. Um, just kind of another weapon in the running game that the the Packers had to stop. And on the first drive of the game, it was really working well. Uh, Peterson was tearing up uh, big holes in the Packers' defense. Uh, Joe Webb uh, had a couple scrambles. And before you knew it, the Vikings were in the red zone before uh, a pass was thrown, a pass attempt. And then we started seeing pass attempts from Joe Webb, and it kind of went downhill from there. That that first um, drive for the Vikings was stalled and ended in a 33-yard field goal. The Vikings felt good about themselves being up 3-0. I think it was important for the Vikings to get a lead in this game to that would allow them to keep running the ball. Um, but the Packers... It took them a little while to score, but they ended up scoring at the end of the first quarter and then scored two more times in the second quarter. And I'll tell you what, the Green Bay Packer defense, I think, is a lot better than it has been in the past. I think it's better, much, much better than it was last year. I think it's gotten better, progressively better this season. And I think this team really reminds you of that 2010 Super Bowl team and kind of why I picked them in my article that I wrote last week to to go all the way and win the Super Bowl. But they got three turnovers against the Vikings in this game. Uh, didn't turn the ball over at all on offense. That's important. Aaron Rodgers had a good game, 23 of 33, 274 yards and a touchdown thrown. Uh, and, and Joe Webb, 11 for 30 with 100, 180 yards. That's That's just not getting it done. You know, it doesn't matter how well Adrian Peterson runs no matter how well the run option is working you you can't win many playoff games if any with your quarterback completing 36% of his passes it's just not it's not going to happen and uh, Webb also had an interception to his name he did have a late touchdown but that was really in garbage time uh for most of the second half the score was 24 to 3 and the Vikings were able to score a touchdown late in the fourth quarter to make it somewhat respectable um but these were really two different teams playing out there from last week, especially Minnesota, like I said, just really looked different on both sides of the ball. They're, they're, um, although they were able to hold uh, Minnesota or excuse me, Green Bay to just 24 points, which if you look at you put it in perspective, is actually a pretty good accomplishment, um, but only scoring 10 points uh, themselves. Uh, and and the the num passing numbers that they had just wasn't going to get it done. And uh, Green Bay is going to go to San Francisco next week in a very intriguing matchup that we will be talking about in the next segment of our show. And going into the last game that took place uh, Wild Card Weekend on Sunday, the last game of the weekend. Seattle Seahawks went in to Washington to take on the Redskins and the Seahawks were the first road team to win this um, in the 2012 playoffs, I guess. Maybe the, I guess it's the 2013 playoffs. I never really um, got which one they call it. But in January of 2013 playoffs, uh, the Seahawks won this game 24-14. to And believe it or not, the, the Redskins scored two touchdowns 
on their first two possessions to go out to a 14-0 lead and to close the game, the Seahawks had 24 unanswered points. Uh, was the biggest comeback in Seattle postseason history, and it was the biggest blown de- uh, biggest blown uh, lead by the Redskins in their uh, franchise history. The Redskins going all the way back to the 1930s, one of the original NFL teams. The big storyline in this game, I mean, the the two rookie quarterbacks going into the game, which one would play better? The big story coming out, RG3 was not himself. Uh, it was pretty clear, even from the get-go, that um, his knee was not 100%. It was, I don't think it was even 75%. It might have been close to that at the beginning of the game, but as it went on, the, the, the poor uh, field conditions in Washington, which kind of seemed bizarre. It was a warm day in Washington, over 50 degrees at the start of the game, but the field was pretty chewed up. And that really had an effect on Robert Griffin III. Uh, it had a, a great start to the game. As I said, he had two touchdown passes in the first quarter. The Redskins tore it up um, on those first two drives and really established a nice running game with rookie Alfred Morris. But um, after that, they really didn't do anything. It, it was It's kind of head-scratching, to be honest. Um Alfred Morris had a decent game, 16 rushes for 80 yards, but I think a lot of that came in the first quarter. And Robert Griffin III, 10 10 of 19, uh, just 84 yards through the air. And you can really only think of one play that he really threw it down the field for a a decent gain, and that was on the first drive to um, Pierre Garçon. Um, and, and Seattle, give them credit, they, they scratched their way back into this game. They clawed. They were uh, trailing at halftime, 14-13. to 13, Still trailed by that score going into the fourth quarter. But uh, And actually, they turned the ball over by a fumble um, by Marshawn Lynch inside the five-yard line. And Washington uh, was clinging to that one-point lead, recovering that fumble. But uh, ultimately... Uh, uh, a fumble sh- uh, uh, strip um, from Robert Griffin III got stripped uh, and actually hurt his knee on the play, unable to uh, recover his own fumble because he was on the ground uh, in pain. Uh, got his foot caught again on the, the bad turf and um, had to be carried off. Well, actually, he walked out on his own power, but uh, he was down on the ground for a while and didn't come back into the game. Everybody was holding their breath, just hoping it wasn't a severe injury to the ACL or anything like that. Um, it looks like he's, you know, well, I guess I don't want to. I don't want to speculate. I haven't. I haven't read any of the reports yet. But um, he did walk off the field, so we're hoping that he's okay for next year. Uh, at the start of the season, obviously, an ACL injury could set him back to not be able to start right at the beginning. But uh, that, that to me, was really the difference in the game, the, the injury to RG3, not, you know, him not being 100%. Though Seattle played well. I, I don't want to say that you know, a healthy RG3 would have made the, the game different. It could have, but um, you know, I, don't wanna, uh, I, I don't live in a land of hypotheticals. The, C, the Seahawks came in and played very well after getting smacked in the first quarter. And they found themselves down 14 nothing, 
hey, they came they came back in the last three quarters and punched back and, and ended up winning this game. And speaking of punches, uh, these two teams don't seem to really like each other that much. There was a lot of um, altercations throughout the game, lots of pushing and shoving. Uh, no punches really thrown during the game, but after the game, uh, in the handshakes, there was... Two players, Richard Sherman from the Seahawks and Trent Williams from the Redskins, who seemed like they were just talking after the game. And um, judging by the the replay of the the altercation, uh, Sherman was kind of yapping at at Williams after you know the the Seahawks won, and Williams retaliated with a a shove to uh, Sherman's face. And the two had to be separated. There was pushing and shoving. And then uh, the Seahawks, uh, some of their players, including Sherman, um, were waving to the Redskin players, kind of, you know, saying goodbye. You know, you're out of the playoffs, that kind of thing. It's kind of in poor taste. Uh, both teams, obviously, were in the wrong. You can't shove a guy after a game. Uh, but you can't, you can't taunt uh, teams either. And um, I'm sure there'll be articles written about it around the the league and on our website about um, about uh, about the the incident. But is I I think this kind of speaks to Pete Carroll. I'll make one more point before we go to break about Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. Just lately, you know, I think Pete Carroll it it would be beneficial to him. For someone, I don't know who, but someone to kind of take him aside and say, hey, this is not USC. Okay? I know when you were at USC, you dominated everybody. You won the Pac-12 every single year because nobody could compete with you. And you went to national championships and won a bunch of, uh, of, of rings and national championships. But, you know, you can't be the big bully on the block all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's in poor taste. To, to say, to do those kind of things. And it's I'm, they had two games uh, late in the season where they scored over 50 points, where the other team didn't have any points or just 10 points. You can't run up the score like that. Um, and it's just going to come back and, and bite you when you play that team next time. And I'm, I'm looking forward to a, a Redskins-Seahawk matchup uh, next year. I don't know if they'll be playing each other um, it, it next season. Um, well, I will have to look into that later. Uh, but uh, but that will be a if they do a pretty good rematch uh, next year, or they could always play in the playoffs next year. Uh, but the end result, the Seahawks win the game. They are advancing, and they will take on the number one seed Atlanta next week. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with a preview of divisional week. And we're back here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, your host, Dave Holcomb. Just a reminder, we want to hear your thoughts about our show. Tweet at me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. You can email me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B-06 at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Dave's Football News. Search that in the toolbar. 
We're going to move on to previewing next week, the division round of the playoffs, the last week of the season where we'll have four games, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. Uh, Phil Sims graciously said on Sunday that it's his favorite uh, weekend of the season, like we care. Um, but we've got on Saturday, the Baltimore Ravens going into Denver to take on the Broncos, a rematch of a matchup well, late in the season in December, where uh, it was a pretty closely contested game, but uh, Denver ended up winning by, uh, I, I believe it was 17 points, um, and that was in Baltimore. Historically, a pretty tough place to win. Uh, and then uh, the night game on Saturday, Green Bay going into San Francisco, kind of a a flashback to the, the 90s where we had uh, Steve Young and Brett Favre throwing the ball around and uh, San Francisco and Green Bay hoisting Lombardi trophies. That'll be a fun one. The, for me, that is the game of the weekend. On Sunday, Seattle goes into Atlanta. Atlanta trying to get off the snide, win a playoff game with Matt Ryan and Mike Smith uh, in that organization. So far, they are 0-3. Seattle, the only team to win a road game uh, from Wild Card Weekend. They'll be on the road the rest of the way. Um, the first road, the next road game, I should say, it will be in Atlanta, the Georgia Dome. And to close out the weekend, Houston going back into New England, another rematch. Uh, and it didn't go so well for Houston the first time. Uh, they got thrashed on Monday Night Football. So predictions. Uh, I was two for two this past weekend. Uh, for anybody who wants to see my uh, outdated playoff predictions, you can check out my, my article on the, the entire uh, 2013 play, NFL playoff uh, predictions. Uh, so far, my NFC bracket is good. I had Seattle going into Atlanta and Green Bay going to San Francisco, and I'm going to stick with my original picks. I have Green Bay winning in San Francisco. Uh, that is the game of the weekend for me. Uh, a matchup between what I think is the best defense in the league against one of the top two offenses. I was going to say what I think is the top offense. New England's up there as well. Uh, but Aaron Rodgers can throw it with the best of them. Has a great uh, receiving core. And hey, they got that running game going um, this past weekend with that young running back. Uh, Jawan Harris is his name. Uh, he's not bad, um, so you know, not he's not going to break any rushing records, at least not yet. But with Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback, you don't have to just give that offense some kind of balance to keep San Francisco, uh, you know, on their toes. And the the other big thing of this game is rookie Colin Kaepernick. Um, how will he respond in his first postseason start? You know, Jim Harbaugh says he's way beyond his years in intelligence and, and um, in uh, how he handles himself on the field. He has a lot of poise, but how will he play in the playoffs? Completely different thing. This this is another game that's also a rematch, but from week one, a lot of things are different with both teams. I'm picking Green Bay on the road to win this game. Uh, I really think their defense is good enough to, 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 to uh, handle Frank Gore and Colin Kaepernick in the running game. And, and I don't, uh, I, there's just too many question marks in how Kaepernick will play um, in the passing game. And, and Aaron Rodgers, it's hard to go against him in the playoffs. He is, uh, I believe, a, one of the top 
playoff quarterback ratings of all time. Uh, so it's it's hard to pick against him. Uh, the other game, uh, the NFC, I'm picking Atlanta. I, I I've although I've picked Atlanta in every single game that they've played uh, in the playoffs the last few years with Matt Ryan and Mike Smith, and they've lost all of them. So maybe it's a bad sign for Falcon fans that I'm picking them again. But I think they finally win a playoff game. Seattle's a tough bunch, but I think on the road in the Georgia Dome, uh, it's a tough place to play. Will they be able, that Seahawk defense is good, but will they be able to handle Roddy White and a Tony Gonzalez, Julio Jones, a lot of weapons for the Falcons. And we've forgotten about Michael Turner. He hasn't had a great season. The Falcons haven't been able to run the ball. They're in, I think, the bottom five in rushing yards for the regular season. But he is there if they need him. And uh, the Seahawks are uh, a tough defense to run on. But if they get too occupied in trying to handle those receivers, Michael Turner could burn them. In the AFC, I didn't get any of the games right, so my bracket's completely wrong. But Baltimore going to Denver and Houston going to New England. The teams that I picked to win the division games are still in it. I have Denver and New England winning. I'm going to stick with both of them. I just think they are the superior teams to the other division winners. Uh, in Baltimore's case, I, Baltimore impressed me on Sunday. They played very well against a Colt team that really... Um, they they controlled the rhythm of the game, but Baltimore played to the Colts' the Colts's rhythm and... and and um, were able to win. And if they can establish a running game with Pierce and, and Ray Rice, it, they could give Denver some problems. But I just think Peyton Manning is going to take over that game. And Denver's defense is good enough um, to to control Flacco and, and that Baltimore offense. I think Denver wins in a pretty close game. And Houston, New England, to be honest, Houston has to do a lot of things right to make this game even close. First of all, Houston cannot turn the ball over at all if they're going to win this game. They can't settle for short field goals. They have to score in the red zone, and New England has one of the best red zone defenses. And Houston's got to get a couple turnovers themselves. They got to pick off Brady once, maybe twice. They got to get a fumble. They got to get a couple breaks too. They're playing on the road in New England. This situation does kind of remind me about the Jets a few years ago. Jets got thrashed by New England on Monday night late in the season then went into New England division round of the playoffs and beat New England on their home turf. Same situation. Houston got killed by New England on Monday Night Football late in the season. They have a chance for redemption. I'm still going with New England. I It, it could... I was going to say it could be close. I don't think it's going to be close. It could be. I, I don't think it's going to be close. I think New England is going to take Houston to town. Uh, the other thing that I think has really got to happen if Houston's going to win, J.J. Watt has got to have a game a game of his life. Uh, I'm talking about a, a fumble, fumble recovery, couple sacks. Him and the defensive line got to put pressure on Brady and, and create some turnovers if that game is going to be close and, and if Houston's going to win. So those are my predictions for next week. Uh, write them down so you know you can make fun of me or, you know, Two, I was two and two this week, so I'm hoping to stay at 500 and get maybe two more right, and 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 at least keep uh, my Super Bowl teams alive. I got Green Bay playing Denver in the Super Bowl. Check out the rest of my picks on my article, and you can check out all of the game recaps from Wildcard Weekend and previews for next week on our website, FootballNation.com. 
We're going to take one more quick break. Here's another song from Genesis. Then we'll come back and wrap up today's show. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Once again, you can reach me on Twitter, DMHOLCOMB is my handle. Email me, DMHOLCOMB06 at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Dave's Football News. I'm going to close with an article by Jeff Hunter on our website. The, The article is titled, Doug Marone is the new man for the Buffalo Bills. For those of you who don't know who Doug Marone is, which I'm guessing a lot of you don't, he is the head coach, or was the head coach, of the Syracuse Orange, my beloved Syracuse Orange. I go to Syracuse, for those of you who don't know. Um, And this Marone, in Syracuse, a pretty well-liked guy, you know, a a coach that me personally, I'm going to miss. He's turned around uh, the Syracuse... um, program and was able to take them from what they were uh, the four years before he got there, 10 and 37 record, quite (laughs) abysmal, quite dismal. Um, And under him, they are 25 and 25 and have won two bowl games, uh, the pinstripe bowl, two of those four years. That being said, I, I still can't believe that he is going to the Buffalo Bills, going to the NFL at all, and, and coaching. And that's kind of what Jeff Hunter hints at here. All right, he's record-wise very average. Okay, a 500 college coach in the Big East, let alone. He's not playing SEC teams or, or Big Ten teams or even ACC teams. He's playing Big East football. And preseason, they're playing... Uh, Stony Brook. That was one of Syracuse's games this year. They're playing Stony Brook and didn't win by much. Um, but they had a little bit tougher uh, schedule out, out of conference this year. They played USC, who ended up not being very good, but at the time they were the, the number one team in the country. But I, my point to close out the show is just I don't understand why they so many NFL coaches or NFL franchises are bringing in college coaches. And I just don't understand why they think um, college schemes are going to translate into the NFL. And the other guy that I'm going to reference is Chip Kelly. I don't understand why teams like the Browns or even the Eagles are looking at a guy like Chip Kelly. He runs a high-powered, um, quick offense in Oregon that I just... I'm old-fashioned, and I just don't think it's going to work in the NFL. Maybe it will. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. And the other thing is, I just don't see why Chip Kelly, a guy that's been great in Oregon, he's got a great thing going, he's going to compete for a national title every year for probably the next 10 years, why would you want to leave Oregon and go to the Browns or go to the Eagles? Two, two franchises that are really in disarray. The Browns haven't been good for a long time. Uh, they've showed some signs of life this year, and they're, they're the youngest team in the NFL, but is is Chip Kelly really going to turn around the Browns with the Ravens, Steelers, and Bengals in that division? 
you know, even the Eagles, a very tough division. They really don't really have a quarterback. Maybe Nick Foles could be the quarterback, but is he really going to turn around the Eagles and make them a playoff team in the next two or three years? I, me personally, no. And um, I don't. I don't understand either side. I don't understand why um, Chip Kelly would want to leave Oregon. I don't understand why Cleveland or Philadelphia would want Chip Kelly. And Doug, for, going back to Doug Marone. Syracuse runs a more NFL-oriented offense and defense and plays, you know, a, more of an NFL style. And Doug Marone does have a history in the NFL. He was on the Saints coaching coaching staff in 2009 when they won the Super Bowl. So he's been under guys like Bill Parcells or Sean Payton. I believe he was under Bill Parcells maybe back in Dallas. Um, but he he's under that coaching tree of Bill Parcells, at least, under Sean Payton. But this is a guy that his first head coaching job did a decent job, but he was 25 and 25 for a team that plays in the Big East. And now the Bills expect him to come in and beat teams like the Patriots and take them down in the AFC East. I I don't see it happening. Good luck to him. You know, he did did a lot for Syracuse, and I'll, I'll be rooting for him, but I don't see him turning around the Bills, at least not turning him around more than he turned around Syracuse. You know, I expect a lot of 500 or sub-500 games from Buffalo Bills. That's all the time we have in today's show. I hope you enjoy next week's games in the division round. In the meantime, I'm going to try and find some peace in my mind.